Say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Um, hey, Hope Ottawa, you guys came to sing tonight, huh? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. May it be so every single week, Lord. What a beautiful, beautiful, I mean that every, every stretch of the word. Um, what a beautiful time of worship. Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 41. And if you do not have a copy of God's word, please put your hand up nice and high because our ushers are coming forward right now and we want to put a Bible in your lap. And it's on page 530 in those Bibles. Okay, page 530. And if you do not have a copy of God's word at home, then please keep that as a free gift from us to you to encourage you to continue to study God's word at home. Acts chapter 2, verses 14 to 41. Well, here we are continuing on now in our series called To the Ends of the Earth. Our series, verse by verse, line by line, through the book of Acts. Now, we took a little three-week break there over the Christmas break in the New Year's for a mini-series called Fervent. Praise the Lord. What a great series that was. So let's do a little recap here as we jump back into Acts. Recall. Who can recall this? Ready? Ready? Uh, eyes up. Ears open. Who can recall? What is the main theme of the book of Acts? If you could sum up Acts, what would be the main theme? Starts with a W. Whoa, say it louder. Witness, that's right. Witness is the main theme from Acts chapter one, verse one, all the way to Acts 28, verse 31. This theme of witness is woven by the Holy Spirit throughout the entire book. And it comes from this key verse in the book of Acts, and you'll see it on the screen. Acts chapter one, verse eight says this, but you will receive, this is Jesus commissioning the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. To do what? To sit a cushy, comfy life at home? Just being selfish and living for ourselves and that's why we get the power of God? Not even close. Notice, here's why we're giving God's power through the Holy Spirit. To be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. What is a witness? One who is unafraid, unafraid to proclaim Christ's message. A witness is an unafraid witness to proclaim Christ's message and willing to do so on the conviction of the truth that they have, that it is the hope for the world, willing to do so even to death. Why? So that others may live. And there is the ministry of Jesus Christ, willing to die so that others may live. And we as his witnesses are called to carry on in his power the mission that he started. And so this verse right here, did you catch it? It outlines the entire book of Acts. So this is where we're going. You will receive power. My Holy Spirit's come upon you and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem. That's Acts chapter one to the end of Acts chapter seven. The ministry to Jerusalem. And then what? In Judea and in Samaria. That's Acts chapter eight to the end of Acts chapter 12. And then to the end of the earth. That's Acts chapter 13 all the way to the end of Acts 28. So Jesus is outlining the entire book in one verse. And what we see over and over and over again is this truth right here. You see it on the screen. God's power is given to God's people to be God's witnesses. 
God's power is given to God's people. Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, God's power has been given to God's people through the Holy Spirit. Why? To be God's witnesses. And you may say this. You may be saved in Jesus Christ. You're like, hey, that's great news. Great, great. I am called to be a witness. Okay, I know what I'm called to do. And I'm called to proclaim Christ's message. So I know what I'm called to proclaim, but I'm actually confused because uh, what's the message? What's the message I'm called to proclaim? What is it? There's a lot of messages out there today. Here's the answer. We get it right from our text today. We're called to proclaim the beautiful gospel. The beautiful gospel. Now, here's the danger. You've been a Christian for a while or you've been in church for a while. There's this sneaky thing that can happen if we're not careful. And it's called, we start speaking Christianese. You know what I'm talking about, huh? We start speaking Christianese, and we just assume everybody in the room knows what we're talking about. Yeah, huh, huh? yeah. So we have to be very clear on this. What is the gospel? Hey, did you just put it up? You did. Oh. Love you all. I just stole my thunder. All right, what's the gospel? <laughs> what's the gospel? If someone came up to you and asked, say it in a sentence, what is the gospel? And now, by God's grace, you see it on the screen. The gospel is the good news. The, go- the term gospel actually means good news. The good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And you say, why is this so important? I mean, couldn't Jesus have given us a lot of other messages that we think at times may be more helpful for society and the times in which we live? Why did he give us this message? Because there's a problem. And it's a problem you and I face in our own lives every day. And it's a problem if we open our eyes, scan the news for a moment, live in the real world that's out there, we see it face to face. And that problem is that every single one of us has a problem, but it's a problem that not a single one of us can fix on our own. And that problem we're confronted with day by day is sin. What is sin? The term sin there. Bible, it means to miss God's mark. It's disobedience to the word of the Lord. You want to see the results of sin? You say, what's so bad about sin? I can just do my own thing, right? I don't need to obey. Okay, well, let's just look around for a moment. Look around and see the devastating effects of the power and presence of sin in your life, in mine, and in this world. Here's a glimpse. Here's a little snapshot to get us thinking. Uh, Division. Think this world's a little bit divided? Here's another one. Racism and segregation. Just in case we're not clear on this, racism is wickedness from the pit of hell. And it's a result of the power and presence of sin in this world and the devaluing of human life. Here's another one. We see selfishness. Here's another one. Pornography. Where men and women and children are being exploited day after day for the greedy, selfish self-gratification of oneself. That's the power and presence of sin. Here's another one. War. 
brokenness, sickness. I think we've been confronted with that these last few years. It's the power and presence of sin. The fallen world. Here's another one. Corruption. Lies. A rejection of God's truth. See his word getting pushed increasingly to the margin of society. Here's another one. Abuse. Abuse is heinous evil. Spiritual, emotional, physical. I've been through that and my heart grieves with you if you have been as well. Here's another one. Betrayal. Anyone ever been betrayed? By one that is close to you? Here's one. Fear of man. The fear of man. Here's another big one. Why this message is so important. Because of the distortion. The the power and presence of sin leads to the distortion of the true gospel. There's so many versions of the so-called gospel out there today. You just, Jesus saves you so that you can be healthy and wealthy and never suffer and have your bank accounts full and do all this and that. Oh, no, no. Jesus saves you, but then you're the hero of your story. and You just get Jesus to add on and then call on him like a genie and he'll make your life better. There's so much distortion of the gospel today, isn't there? And ultimately, we see the penalty of sin And that is death and separation from God for eternity in hell. Make no mistake, loved ones. Look around us. All creation, you and I included, all creation longs for the salvation that only comes through Jesus Christ. We long for the beautiful gospel. This is the message. Loved ones, church, this is the message. We are called to give our lives to see proclaimed to the end of the earth. Let's drill down. Good news, person, work of Jesus Christ. Here it is in a sentence. Big idea of the text. Salvation is only found in Jesus Christ, and you must repent of your sin and believe in him to have it. There's the big idea of Acts 2, 14 to 41. Salvation is only found in Jesus Christ, and you must repent of your sin and believe in him to have it. This is the beautiful gospel. Let's get our con. Context because this is what Peter's about to take the mantle and proclaim. It is the day of Pentecost. It's later in the day. Remember, before we broke this series for three weeks for that mini series over the holidays, Pente- the day of Pentecost had started and the Holy Spirit has just been poured out. And so Pentecost, remember, is the one-day feast. It's a pilgrimage festival in Israel where every Jewish male, 12 plus, from all over the Roman Empire, would pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship on behalf of their families. It was mandated. They go. And so there's thousands of men, age 12 plus, in Jerusalem. And remember, Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. That's what Pentecost means. It means 50 It's 50 days after Passover. What's Passover? The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? And then, this moment right here, the day of Pentecost, it's been 10 days, comes 10 days after Jesus has ascended. So after he rose from the grave, he appeared to the disciples for 40 days, and then he ascended to be at the right hand of the Father. 
And so this is 10 days later. And what did he tell them to do? To go wait in Jerusalem. And so the last 10 days, this is exactly what the church, made up of 120 people right now, has been doing. They've been waiting and praying in the upper room as Jesus instructed them to, waiting for him to fulfill his promise from Acts 1-8 that we looked at, that he would send them the Holy Spirit to empower them for their mission to be his witnesses. And so that was moments earlier. Moments earlier from this moment in our text right here, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on them. And tongues that looked like fire, symbolizing the power and the presence of God, came down on each person. And remember that beautiful moment. They began to speak in different languages of the nations throughout the world. Remember, these were actual languages. Why? Because he gave them tongues to witness. So people had to understand. They weren't just ecstatic utterances. They were going to the nations. Declaring the mighty works of God. And so the result, this happens. All the disciples, can you imagine? It just seems a little chaotic, doesn't it? you got all the disciples speaking all these different languages. The result is the Jews who'd come to the festival to understand, they start to understand the disciples. They hear the mighty works of God in their own languages. And the place is thrown into confusion. You look at verse 12 of chapter 2. They say, what does this mean? All these Jews, thousands of Jewish men, they're like, what is this? look at this. What does this mean? And then some of them, wanting to just pass off the disciples, they say, uh, don't worry about them. They're drunk. They're drunk. And now, now, we get to verses 14 to 41. And Peter, 50 days earlier, remember, loved ones, denied Jesus in front of a servant girl at a campfire and wouldn't stand up for him, he's now filled with the Holy Spirit. What's changed in Peter? The presence and power of the Holy Spirit in him. Oh, come on. He gets up, filled with the Holy Spirit. He steps up in the temple courtyard in front of thousands to preach the first sermon he ever preached. And what's the message? Of course, because there's only one message we proclaim. It is the true pure and beautiful gospel and the witness to jerusalem has begun you ready to go we're not going to read his, the whole portion of his sermon here we're going to read a smaller chunk let's stand to honor the authority of god's word verses 14 to 21 acts chapter 2 hey kids you know what hey kids you know in two weeks you're going to be in hope kids And so here's what that means. we got to read nice and loud these next two weeks, okay? Stand up. Stand up. That's it. Come on. We're reading God's word together. Let's go. Acts 2, 14 to 41. Let's go. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. 
Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hear the beautiful gospel. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. First thing we see right here from these eight verses we just read is this. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. And its promise is salvation. Its promise is salvation. See, God promises salvation. Get this. Let's understand it today. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to this truth. God promises salvation through Jesus alone. There it is. God promises salvation through Jesus alone. Hey, question, where are you seeking it from? Where are you seeking salvation from? Look, 14 to 21. See what just happened there? Peter gets up and he declares, hey, men of Judah, men of Judah, pay attention. Pay attention. They're not drunk. Notice what he said. It's only the third hour of the day. In Jewish culture, that's 9 a.m. The day started at 6 a.m. He's like, it's only 9 a.m. They're not drunk, but what you are witnessing is a fulfillment of God's word. It is a fulfillment of scripture that was spoken by the prophet Joel. You see that in verse 16. Now, let's do a little background on the prophet Joel, if we're going to understand that. Joel is one of the minor prophets. Trust me, there's nothing minor about Joel's book except for the length. Just a short book, but here's the deal. Uh, Joel prophesied around 830 BC. So if you put it in the time frame, do the math, that's 864 years from this moment right here in Acts chapter 2. 864 years before that. And the focus of the book of Joel, Joel is kind of a, it gets this sense of this kind of gloomy book. Why? Because it's focused on the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord when the Messiah, Jesus, returns. And specifically, the text from Joel that Peter is speaking of here and preaching from is Joel 2, 28 to 32. Look at verses 17 and 18. Here's what he says. And in the last days, quoting from Joel 2, it shall be, notice that promise, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. See, notice where Joel says here, what Peter, what Peter preaches from Joel's book, says this, the last days. Let's get some clarity. What are we talking about last days? We hear a lot of different perspectives on that, but what we see in the Bible is that the last days is the time period between the first coming of Jesus to his second coming. Okay? So the first advent of Christ to his return, during which 
in these last days, this period, these last days, God promised, you see it right there, that he would send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would be poured out on the church. Now, let's get clarity here. You say, wait a second, he just said all flesh. I thought you said the Holy Spirit was only given to believers. Hey, great question. Glad you're thinking. Let's get clarity. That just means, all flesh just means not just the Jews anymore. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles too. The Gentiles. Every, get this, Every true believer, every true Christian from every tribe and tongue and nation would receive the Holy Spirit. No matter, did you catch this? No matter their social status in society. Your sons will prophesy. Your daughters. Elders. Servants. See that? The whole spectrum. There's no partiality. Praise the Lord. They will see visions and have dreams. And you say, wait a second, okay, so there's a whole bunch of stuff there about dreams and visions today, and, and we, need to, we need to get some clarity here on what the prophet Joel is speaking of and how Peter is applying that as he preaches it. We see this happening. Dreams and visions. If you keep going, and we will, Lord willing, through the book of Acts, you see this in Acts chapter 10. Peter's got a vision, right, of a sheet coming down when that was going to be the Holy Spirit poured out to the Gentiles. In Cornelius, we see these visions happening, and we see that less and less now as we go through the New Testament. We see that happening less and less. Why? Because the dreams and visions are being given, and don't forget, as the church is being established. As the church is breaking in to authenticate the truth of the gospel. And remember, loved ones, scripture, the book of Acts, is descriptive, not prescriptive. Can God still give a vision if he wants? Yeah, God can give a vision. But like anything else, his scripture says to test the spirits. We have the full canon and authority of God's word. It will not contradict. There's no new revelation being added to the word of God. In fact, Jesus gives us a strong warning against that. Do not add or do not take away from it. And we see all these dreams and visions. We get so caught up in this. But we see it less and less. It's not the norm anymore. We've got the completed canon. We've got the full word of God in front of us, loved ones. And it said, they will prophesy. They will prophesy. Let's be clear. As we see in texts like Ephesians 2 and Hebrews chapter 1, the office of the prophet has now ceased. We've got the completed canon of scripture. So what is being told here? Here's what it means. All believers, even though the office of the prophet has ceased. We tend to think of prophets as thus saith the Lord, you know, Old Testament. And they, they did as God was giving us his word. But now we notice this, loved ones. Um, all believers are called and equipped by the Holy Spirit to teach God's word in some capacity. See, the word prophet here just means one who teaches God's word. It means one who declares the truth of God's word or speak what God's word says in that situation. It's not going on the opinions of man. That's what the word prophecy means here. They will speak God's word. And every believer is called and equipped to teach God's word in some 
capacity. It's our mission. Look at Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Doing what? Teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. You see that? If you are a disciple, you are called to make disciples. That's not just for the office of pastor or elder. We are called to teach and to instruct in God's word what God's word speaks to a situation. So you might not be a pastor in a pulpit in front of the church. But you are called to teach God's word to your family, to your work, co-workers, to your neighbors, to the people on the bus, to others in the church. Where is that for you? Where is the platform God's given you to do that? You are a follower of Christ. You are called to teach the word of Christ. And so we share in that sense in the ministry of the prophet. That's what Joel's talking about. Now look at 19 to 20. This isn't the only thing that'll happen in the last days. We see the Holy Spirit getting poured out. But now watch. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. See, in addition to the sending of the Holy Spirit and the teaching of God's word in the church through the people of God, the believers. Notice this. Joel now tells of the signs and wonders that will take place as the days get closer to Christ's return. These are the signs of the end. The signs of the end. Now what's a sign? Greek word for sign means A miracle done by God to authenticate his truth. So a miracle done by God to authenticate the truth of the gospel. All right, And and we see this all through the book of Revelation. These signs and wonders specifically right here. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Now do we still believe God can do miracles? Yes we do. If you're saved in Jesus Christ, hey that's a miracle. That's the greatest miracle there is. That's even a greater miracle than healing. Can God still heal a person? Of course he can still heal a person. But bringing someone from death to life, that's the greatest miracle. God is still in the miracle working business by saving people who are lost to bring them to salvation. And we do a great discredit to the gospel when we emphasize the lesser things over the greatest. It's happening every day. People raised from death to life. And notice what kind of day this is going to be. When Jesus comes back, did you get it from the text? Verse 20. It's a magnificent day. A magnificent day. The Greek word there means glorious. For believers, here's the deal. If you're truly saved in Jesus Christ, and we're in the last days, that day's coming soon. Very quickly. For believers, if you are saved, that's going to be a magnificent day of rejoicing. Isn't it? The trumpet sounds, the sky cracks, and the Lord descends. Awesome. There's no greater day. It's a magnificent, glorious day of rejoicing. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. But here's the other side of that. If you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior... Maybe you've heard the gospel preach week after week. Maybe you can even speak the Christianese. 
Maybe you've been coming to church. Maybe you even think you're saved. But you've never truly repented and confessed him as Lord. Here's what this means. It will be a magnificent day for you too. But it will be a magnificent day of terror. In love I say this. It will be a magnificent day of terror, weeping, and mourning for you. As you see the Savior... You see the king who you've rejected over your life again and again and again. You refuse to repent of your sin and confess him as Lord. And here's why it's a day of terror for you. Because now you face his judgment. You face his wrath. And it is too late to come to him. And I say that with all the love for you that I can. You don't recognize the beauty of the gospel until you know what's at stake. And yet, until that time, in these last days, notice verse 21. Here's the hope. Let's get to it. Verse 21, read. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Lord there, the word Lord, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does it mean to be saved? To be delivered out of danger into safety. The danger of where your sin is taking you, the wrath of God that is coming, and eternal torment in hell. To be delivered out of danger through the blood of Jesus Christ. Everyone who calls on his name shall be saved. So think of what salvation means. The promise of salvation here in verse 21 means this. The promise of the forgiveness of sin. Every sin that you ever have committed, are committing, or will commit, forgiven and atoned for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And God looks upon you now through his son and he sees you as righteous because he sees you through his beautiful son. It means salvation means peace with God. Right now, without repenting of your sin and confessing Christ, listen, here's your reality. I say this in love. Church, you are an enemy of God. You are. But through salvation, through calling on the name of the Lord Jesus, you are brought into a right relationship with God and have peace with God. Here's the other thing. Salvation means that you are saved from the penalty of sin in hell for eternity. You are given eternal life. Salvation means this. You are being saved from the power of sin. When you're given the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will finish the work he started in you. Isn't that good news, loved ones? He's sanctifying you. That means changing you more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. His holiness, his power, his purity, his righteousness. Yes, Lord. You are being saved from the power of sin over your life. It means you are given eternal life where, oh, I can't wait for this, all believers, all true believers will be removed from the presence of sin. Think about all those things I just mentioned at the start of the message. Gone. Gone. You will be removed from the presence of sin for eternity. I just want you to close your eyes right now. Kids, close your eyes right here. Close your eyes. Everybody, close your eyes and picture this. No more death. 
Just no more sickness. No more suffering. No more depression. No more conflicts. No more corruption. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. I want you to notice this. Notice verse 21 again. Only those who call on the name of the Lord, only those who call on Jesus Christ will be saved. What that means is this. You and I have no chance of saving ourselves. We cannot measure up to God's standard of holiness on our own. And you can do all the nice things and you can think you're better than the next guy, but at the end of the day, hear the word of the Lord, verse 21, that only those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can even come to church for years and yet never be saved. Kids, are you saved? Have you confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, young ones? Pray that for you every day. Every day. See, God promises salvation through Jesus alone. Question, where are you seeking it? Where are you seeking salvation from? And if you're here and you've never confessed Christ, I plead with you to hear the word of the Lord and not harden your heart tonight. Hear the word. Don't harden your heart. And believers, here's what it means for us. Here's the question. You'll see it on the screen. We need to ask, are you living like salvation is in Jesus Christ alone? Or are you still seeking salvation from the things of this world? I'm going to seek salvation in my body image. I'm going to seek salvation in my finances. I'm going to seek salvation in getting a spouse or having children or being popular at school or all of this. I'm going to seek salvation. Are you living like salvation is in Jesus Christ alone? Through your demonstration in your lives. Are you running to other things to deliver you from your fear or anxiety or hopelessness, your depression, your habitual sin? What name, whose name are you calling on that isn't Jesus? Are are you living, here's, here's a big one, living like Jesus, salvation is in him alone through your declaration. Are you declaring and living as a fervent witness in the power of the Holy Spirit? There's only one name under heaven by which we must be saved. Are we living like it? That Jesus alone saves. See, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ and its promise is salvation. You may say this. You may be sitting here and you may say, well, I hear that, but how do I know if I can believe that's true? I mean, isn't this book really old? Isn't it like not relevant anymore? What about all this? I hear that, but how can I believe it's true? Where's the proof? Everyone say, great question. Great question. Let's check this out, because salvation, the gospel, is the good news of Jesus Christ, and its proof is certain. Its proof is certain. God has proved, hear the word of the Lord, God has proved the truth of the gospel with certainty. God has proved the truth of the gospel with certainty, but the question isn't, is the gospel true? The question is, will you and I believe it? The question isn't if it's true. He's proved that with certainty. 
The question is, will you and I believe it? And how does he proof that? Here you go, gospel proof, number one, with signs from God. Signs from God. Look at verses 22 to 24. Men of Israel, Peter goes on to preach, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Everyone say, you can't stop God. You crucified him. You crucified him and killed him by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the, awesome, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The word attested there in verse 22, what it means is this. It means to be proved. Someone is shown to be who they claim to be. And in this case, God attested Jesus to be the son of God and be the Messiah. How did he do this? Verse 19, did you catch it in the text? Go back to the text. Verse 19, recall signs. It means miracles of God to authenticate the truth of God. And here, here's how God attested Jesus Christ, the truth of him, through Jesus' miracles and signs. And we don't have all of Jesus' miracles and signs here. I mean, the book of John at the very end says if we tried to fill it, the world couldn't even contain the books for all the miracles that he did, but we do have the book of signs. The book of signs is John chapter 2 up to the end of John chapter 12. It's called the book of signs, and it gives an overview of a snapshot of the miracles and signs that Jesus did to authenticate who he was. Here's some examples. Ready? John 2, he turned water into wine as a sign of his power. A sign of his power over creation. John 4, I love this one. Healing of the official son. Oh yeah, by the way, not even being in the same room. He just said, go home, your son's gonna be better. Awesome, awesome. Healing of the official son to show that all true healing was found in him. Ultimately spiritual healing. John 5, the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. It's a sign of Jesus' authority. He is the Lord even over the Sabbath. It's a sign of his authority. Next, John 6, the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish and 5,000 men plus women and children, upwards of 20,000 people get fed as a sign of satisfaction, that all true satisfaction found in him. Here's another one. John 6, Jesus walking on water as a sign of his sovereignty as God. Sovereignty over creation. I love that picture. I want that in my office. Just haven't been able to find it yet. You know, thing I can put it on. But man, that's beautiful. And then John 8, when he heals a man born blind. He says, I'm the light of the world. Next, John 11, the raising of Lazarus to show that it's a sign of life, that all true life is found in Jesus alone. That's actually Lazarus, where they believe Lazarus' tomb was. And oh yeah, Forgot the greatest one, verse 24, if you just look, God raised him up. Jesus' own resurrection is a sign, his own resurrection. It says that the pangs of death were loosed. That means they were released. He, they were unbound. And the pangs, that is the agony and pain of death, as it was impossible for him to be held by it. Awesome. There's our Savior. 
impossible for him to be held by death. And then for the next 40 days, he appears to the apostles. And not only that, you say, well, they're hallucinating. They're doing all this. There's a big theory called the hallucination theory. Listen, listen. Okay, then how about this one? 1 Corinthians 15, 6, when he appeared to over 500 people at one time on a mountain. Are you going to tell me they're all having the same hallucination? Nah. And then 40 days appearing to the apostles, putting, put your finger in the holes in my hands. The word is certain. The gospel is certain. So there's the first gospel proof, signs from God. Second, the word of God, 25 to 31. Keep reading, let's go. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, you will make me full of gladness in your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence, this is Peter, he says about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, notice this, he foresaw, that is David foresaw, and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. See what Peter does right there? He quotes the word of God. He goes back, the word is the witness. He goes back to Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11, that all the Jews in attendance would know. Any faithful Jew would know Psalm 16. Why? Because it's called a messianic psalm. It's a messianic psalm. And what that means is it points and has its fulfillment ultimately in the Messiah. It's a messianic psalm and points to its fulfillment in the greater David, not King David, the greater David, Jesus Christ. Specifically, this psalm prophesies Jesus' resurrection. David says, notice this, verse 26, that he can dwell in hope. Why? Because the Lord would not abandon, verse 27, the word means forsake his soul to Hades. Now, Hades is a term for hell. It's also been used as a term for hell, but here, it's talking about the place of the dead, the grave. And you'll see why in a moment. So that your holy one may not see corruption. What's the word corruption? It means the decay of the body in the tomb. Okay? So he says, he says here, you will not let God's holy one. Now I want you to circle holy one. Do you notice those two words? What's at the start of both those words? Capital letters. There's only one who is born holy. Only one. That term holy one means beloved by God, means the Messiah. And we see the same name used in Luke 135 where Gabriel tells Mary that her boy would be holy, be called Jesus. There it is, the holy one. The rest of us are all born into sin, not him. And then in 29 to 31, Peter declares that, look guys, of course David, you can't say David's talking about himself in Psalm 16. Why? Because David did in fact die. He died and he was buried. And you can even go to his tomb this day. On our first trip to Israel, Lord willing, maybe we'll take a trip to David's tomb and you'll see it. It's still there. And maybe you'll be able to see that. But, verse 30, go to the text. God was prophesying through David about the resurrection of Christ. And that God the Father did not forsake Jesus, his only son, to decay in the grave and let his flesh see corruption. Instead, notice the text, 
Jesus was raised by God, the Holy Spirit, on the third day. Verse 32, God raised him up. And even though David's tomb still contains David's remains, his soul's with the Lord, but David's remains are still there, Jesus' tomb is empty. Jesus' tomb is empty. He did not see decay. The word of God is fulfilled. And so what do we mean by this? The word of God, see it on the screen, the word of God is God's proof about God's son. God's word is God's proof about God's son. From start to finish, Genesis 1-1 to Revelation chapter 22, this is the biblical storyline. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. And all of it points to the Savior. From start to finish. And this is just one passage. It's living and active. And if you're like, well, hey, that's just God's word. Isn't that like circular reasoning? Here's what I'm going to challenge you with. God's word is living and active. And if you really want to know the truth about Jesus Christ, you really mean that. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, illuminate the truth to me from this text. Illuminate the truth of your word, and he will. If you really want to know the truth, or you could just decide to shun it and be like, not for me, okay. I plead you would not do that. Third witness, or third proof right here, the witnesses of God. 32 to 36, witnesses of God. Let's go. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens... His body's still in the tomb, but he himself says, this is quoting Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. This is where Jesus went. Where did Jesus go when he was raised? To the right hand of the Father. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. See what Peter does there? He gives now two groups of witnesses to the truth and person and work of Jesus Christ. Number one, the apostles themselves. Did you catch it in 32? Did you catch it? Recall, they had seen Jesus' death. And then he appeared to them for 40 days after his resurrection, walking through walls, eating with them, dinner, breakfast on a beach. Just look at John 20 and 21. And then here's the second group of witnesses right here, the crowd. He says, you are all witnesses. Verse 33, Peter says that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is the proof that not only Jesus has risen from the dead because he promised it in John 14, 16. He says, I'm going and I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. When I'm raised, here's the proof. You're seeing it, that it's true. You are bearing witness as the spirit is being poured out. But verse 34 to 36, Jesus is now exalted over all, ruling at the right hand of God with all authority and power over all things. He is the king. And Peter declares that even though, even though, right here, the Jews and Romans crucified Jesus and are guilty of that, just as you and I are today, because it's our sin that put him there. They can look at the evidence of the Holy Spirit being poured out right here and see that Jesus is both, ready? Verse 36, he is both Lord, that means God Almighty himself, and Messiah, the only Savior, this is the true confession of the true church, that Jesus is Lord and Christ. And Paul says so clearly in the word of God, he says, let anyone who preaches another gospel 
be accursed. This is the confession of the church, that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is Christ. God Almighty and the Messiah. He's ruling and reigning over all things. It says, makes his enemies his footstool. Hey, eyes up here, watch this. You know what a footstool is? It means like if I had someone lying here, it's like you step on the neck of that person. You step on the neck. His enemies are under his foot. You take that when you feel intimidated by that fear or that sin seems so powerful and strong in your life or the enemy starts chirping at you. You remember, he's right, boom, he's right there. He's right there. His enemies are the footstool. And Jesus has conquered them and is ruling and reigning. He is who he says he is. The proof is right in front of them, right in front of us with certainty. That means undeniable if they would believe it. And you may say this. Okay. Okay. Those witnesses, hey, guess what? They're all dead now. I'm not buying that proof. Well, okay. Good statement. Well, here, let's look at this then. These witnesses Peter lists, they aren't the only witnesses to the truth of the person and work of Christ. Look around this room. This room is full of witnesses. I look at my own life and where I was when God called me and the Holy Spirit illuminated the truth of God to me and the scales fell off. It was just weeping and brokenness and salvation. Yes, Lord. I remember that moment clear as day. I remember it was. I took my boys there this past summer to, to show them. And I, I look around this beautiful church. I look at your faces, loved ones. And I see witness after witness of the truth of the beautiful gospel. You say, what do you mean? Examples salvations. I was talking to one person last week. Say next week's going to be a year ago I was saved in this church. Salvations. People literally being brought from death and to life. I see peace overcoming fear. I see testimony after testimony of faith conquering doubt, power in weakness, provisions that were given, relationships that are healed, joy in the midst of sorrow, addictions broken, unity over division, hospitality shown, baptism after baptism, generosity in the face of selfishness, and so much more. Witness the beautiful gospel. Witness the beautiful gospel. Behold the witness. God has proved the truth of the gospel with certainty. The question isn't, is it true? That's undeniable. Question is, will you believe it? That's the question. The truth is certain. It's been attested. See, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Its promise is salvation. Its proof is certain. And final point today, we land this plane. It leads to this, your response. It's time for a decision. It's time for a decision. Reject it. Here it is. One of two options you and I have. Reject it or receive it. That's it. There's no middle ground. Maybe I'll do it a little bit. Reject it. Reject Jesus Christ or receive him. What will you do with the gospel? What will you do? Look at 37 to 40 as we close out. Now, when they'd heard this, they were cut to the heart. Awesome. It means deeply convicted. 
they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Remember, thousands of men. What shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Talk about good news, huh? Amazing. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. See, after hearing the God, oh, look at this, don't miss this. After hearing the gospel proclaimed, seeing the proof of its truth, and seeing their guilt before God, thousands of Jews are cut to the heart. And they say, what shall we do? And look what Peter says. Just try harder and you'll get to heaven. He says, repent. Repent. Repent of your sin. Repentance there means to actually change your thinking about sin. It means to do a 180, to say, I'm tired of walking in this. I see the devastation in my life. I know it separates me from God. I'm going to be following him. I'm turning from my sin and turning to Jesus Christ and confessing him as Lord and Savior. Notice this, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 38. Filled with the power of God, the third person of the Trinity. And he says this, be baptized. Be baptized. The word baptized there is baptismo which means to be immersed or submerged in water. Why? As a public declaration of your faith in Jesus Christ. Now let's get some clarity. Peter's not saying this. Hey, eyes up here, eyes up here, yep. Peter's not saying you have to be baptized in order to be saved. He's not saying baptism saves you. You say, but look at the text, well look at the text. Doesn't it say that? No, 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 listen. You could translate the Greek structure of that text also gives itself to the translation of be baptized because of the forgiveness of your sin. Be careful. Make sure we're reading properly, loved ones. We receive forgiveness of sin and salvation through Christ alone and baptism publicly declares we are saved in him. Here's the key, verse 39, go back to the text, eyes in. The promise of salvation is for all those who've been called or elected by God to salvation. No one is too far off. Who's that person right now that you are just thinking is too far off for the gospel? No one's too far off. They are called by the Lord elected by him out of his love and in his wisdom. And look at the result. Peter gives the exhortation. Look at the result, 41. So those who received his word, notice they had to receive it. Those who received it and believed it, this is the truth. They were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls to the church. See this? As the gospel is preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, three thousand people received that means accepted it as true and believed in jesus christ as their lord and savior the word of god repentance of sin and they were all forgiven as they confess christ as lord given eternal life and received the holy spirit and were baptized in the name of jesus can you imagine that baptism service you say where could they all get baptized well they had all these cleansing pools around jerusalem where, where according to Jewish law, you had to be cleansed and dip in the pool if you're going to take part in certain activities. Oh, they could have totally had baptism service all over the place. Isn't that amazing? I just love that. God had already dug the pit. Love it. The church went 
from 120 people to 3,000 in an instant. Behold the beautiful gospel. Who is like unto God? So here's our decision. Reject it or receive it. Kids, kids, you've just heard the gospel claimed. Eyes up. You have a choice to make now. Will you reject the gospel or will you receive it? Will you reject it or will you receive it? Will you and I, loved ones, be ready to be face-to-face with Jesus? There's only one way. What will you do with the gospel? Believers, you're like, well, I've totally received Christ. I'm good. Here's the question. What will you do with the gospel now? Will you pursue lives in Jesus Christ of holiness and integrity and love and humility and repentance? Here's one. Here's one. When's the last time you got up in the morning or just went about your day and just thanked God for saving you? Recognizing that he saved you from his wrath when you were his enemy. And he wasn't like, hey, I saved her. I got an A-lister. Good to go. No. He already factored in our foolishness too. Praise the Lord. When's the last time you just sat with the Lord and said, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for saving me from the pit of hell and the power of sin. Thank you for giving me an eternal hope. I deserve death. Here's another one, believers. Hey, hey, notice the text. Eyes up here. Have you been baptized? If you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, let me ask you a question. Notice the text. Repent and be baptized. Have you followed Christ's commands to be baptized? And publicly declared your faith. You say, well, I haven't. Let me just ask you a question. Why not? It's clear for all who are truly saved. Sign up on our website. We would love to see that tank filled up again. Ready to go. Have you been baptized? Sign up today. And here's the third challenge for us believers. Are you living as a fervent witness to those around you? What will you do with the gospel in your workplace this week? What will you do with the gospel in your family this week? What will you do with the gospel in the Uber this week? What will you do with the gospel as you're waiting at the bus stop this week? What will you do with the gospel with that client this week? What will you do with the gospel with that family member this week? What will you do with the gospel? Reject it or receive it and say, this is the truth. I'm declaring it. This is the mission of my life. To be his witness. And non-believers, hey, hey. Here's the truth. If you've never confessed Christ as your Savior, you'll see it on the screen. Big idea for the sermon. Salvation is only found in Jesus Christ, and you must repent of your sin and believe in him to have it. Here's your next step. Jesus is calling, loved one. Jesus is calling, just like he's calling right here, all who the Lord calls to himself. Jesus is calling. Will you repent from your sinful ways, from this crooked generation, and your love of it that is morally corrupt, and surrender to Jesus alone as your Lord and Savior and be baptized in his name. Will you hear the promise of salvation? Will you see the proof of its certainty? And are you ready to respond and follow? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to end in service a little differently right now. Nice and quiet. Kids, nice and quiet. Eyes closed, heads bowed. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of invitation right now.
if you have never confessed Christ as your Savior, and you're like, this is the truth. I'm cut to the heart. I want to believe. It's time. I'm done trying to save myself. Run to other names. I want you to respond in this prayer. I'm going to lead you in prayer. Believers, I want you to be praying right now. Here we go. Lord Jesus, I believe you alone are the Messiah. I believe you are the Son of God and Lord of all. And I believe I am a sinner and I am guilty before you, deserving of wrath and punishment in hell. I repent of my sin. I'm turning from it. Please forgive me. And I surrender to you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you, if you prayed that, you're like, I want to follow Christ. I, I want you to come. Come up after and tell myself or some of the other leaders, talk to someone next to you. Maybe someone who brought you here tonight. We want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. And we want to give you some resources to help you take your next steps in growing with Christ. You're not alone. Behold the beautiful gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. It's so clear. It's just so clear. Your promise of salvation. Who are we that we would be able to partake in that and be given that? Lord, I thank you, and I repent of my own flippancy and apathy when it comes to the gospel and what you've done for me, so often just taking it for granted, going a day even without thanking you. Forgive me. Lord, I pray you would raise up fervent witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth, to take this message right now and proclaim it, knowing that all who you are calling to yourself, none are too far off to not be saved. And so may we be emboldened when the question is asked, what shall we do? What shall we do with the gospel tomorrow? We're going out. We're proclaiming living lives of gospel demonstration and on our lips, gospel declaration. Knowing that he who called us is faithful and you will do it. I pray for those who have yet to be baptized that they would see the word of the Lord and hear it and respond in faith and say, yes, Lord, I I will declare it. I'm done sitting in the shadows. And for those who've never confessed you, God, I pray you'd have mercy on their souls right now. Please open their eyes, Spirit. Please have mercy. Bring them from death to life. Exalt the Son. In Christ alone, our hope is found. You are our light, our strength, and our song. In Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and respond? And hey,